Hello. Hello. Hi, is this your is this your new st- Skype number? This is my new <laughs> Skype number. You know, it's so funny that we should, you know, whatever. Uh, every every podcast uh, talking Skype at the beginning. Um, uh, you know, it rings on my phone now, and and also um, on my computer because apparently I had two different accounts, and now it's the one account. So, Where, you know, what's funny <sighs> when I was ringing you, it didn't ring at all for me. Oh. And it was like, oh no, have I like totally screwed up all my audio? Um, and turns out I was everything was fine, everything was just just okay. You you just arrived in my ears. Whoa! Uh, I know, which was which was awesome. It worked out perfect for me. For me, um, yeah. So you you texted me a couple of minutes ago and said uh, I will read uh, for the listeners. You know our our uh, text uh, chat, which is. Um, uh, are you <laughs> ready soon? And I said, yep, just getting Jack situated on Fortnite." Um, and then you said, right, kid duty, I forgot. And so I have a, uh, um, uh, so Jack, my, my son, my eldest son is out of school now. He finished school on Friday and, uh, my youngest son, Sam still has a day and a half worth of school. So Danny is there volunteering today and I'm at home with Jack, uh, to do a podcast and he is uh, hanging out downstairs and playing Fortnite. Which have we we haven't talked about Fortnite, have we? I don't think so. Oh my gosh, this this could turn into a sponsorship. Um, <laughs> so this it's a game. It's a it's as they as it's known in the industry a first person shooter game, which means uh, you are shooting other people. And it's like the Hunger Games, where. Um, when the game started, when like it was first launched, it was everybody versus everybody, last person standing wins. And they're short games. So, you know, it might take um, to play maybe like anywhere from like eight to 30 minutes. And it has taken over at least the um, seven to nine year old boy sector by storm. And it's, it's all my kids uh, are playing right now. And there is an iOS version, there's a PlayStation version, there's an Xbox Xbox version, and they can play with all of their friends. And there's no like it like the technology's you know good that there's no lag. They can chat with each other. Um, and so this is this is, you know every every day is a Fortnite day in my house right now. Uh, and um, and then they so when you win, it's not like gory shooting. Um, it's just like, you know, it's like laser tag essentially. Um, and when you win, um, you get to do a dance. And so my kids have, have like learned all the dances from YouTubers and then they just do the dances in real life, not just on in Fortnite. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I'm sure, I'm sure about half the things I just said, no one knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) I, I think I, f- I could follow uh, most of it, and I have I have heard uh, people talking about this game. Uh, I'm video game culture adjacent, so um, yeah, it's and, and you know what I mean. I'm not a super big fan of first person shooter games just because I, they're just not my my thing. Yeah. Although I understand that people like them, um, but it's actually it's kind of impressive that it's on iOS, right? I mean, because a lot of these what seem like the really cool games. They come to PlayStation or Xbox um, or even Windows, um, uh, but but not to iOS. So it's, it's, well, it's interesting yeah. that this is uh, on iOS. That I mean, that is exactly um, the coolest part about this is 
the I, I think the accessibility. So it started out as just a launched as a PlayStation game, and um, and so we didn't we we're not uh, we're not all technologyed up in my house. We have a we have a PlayStation Three that was purchased. Uh, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. Is like a um, you know it was refurbished and and it wasn't you know we we weren't we weren't doing a lot of console gaming, and then the boys were playing that a little bit. Um, but then when this came out back, back during, I mean, it was probably the early, um, late winter, um, really early spring. Um, there were a bunch of kids that were on Jack's hockey team that were playing on their PlayStation. And Jack was like, Oh, all I want to do is play Fortnite with my friends and, uh, you know, give me, give me a PlayStation. And then not two weeks later, all of a sudden it shows up in the iOS store. So I was like, Oh no, no, you have, you have a, 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 my old iPhone. You can play it there. Um, so I, it, it's very accessible and it's free. Um, that was the, the other thing. So it's, uh, you know, the video game business models have, have changed. And, and actually I was listening to a couple of podcasts. Um, well, I think it was, uh, due by Friday when they, they were talking about one of their challenges was, in, uh, to use an app called drafts and they had the, uh, creator of drafts on and, and they, they had a, a really good conversation about the model of, of apps and the model of, um, a, a podcast kind of being like, don't, don't give everything away for free. Um, you know, people, people have to make money off of this if you want it to continue to be, to be good. And the model for Fortnite is give the basic game away for free, but then, um, have like skins. So like different, um, you know, d- different people, uh, essentially and, um, different weapons have those be available for purchase. And, we, you know, we've not, um, I've not spent any money on it. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely, um, I definitely know lots of people who, who have, um, and I, I, I read that a, a while ago that Fortnite was making on, on these in-game purchases, something like a million dollars a day. Um, the, it's, and it's from a, it's actually a Raleigh company, a software company, Epic games, um, that, that created it, but they were like netting a ridiculous amount of money in for in-game purchases. So it's not that everything was free. It's just the, like the, like in the wire, I guess the, uh, you know, first hits free. (laughs) (laughs) And then once you're in, uh, you're in the game, it's a game. (laughs) Yep. 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 Um, But but anyway, that's what yeah. So it's it's kind of it's kind of taken uh, taken over. It's very it's. I, I find it really interesting. Um, two things like we we've talked a little bit um, about differing media and how things have kind of changed and and where that impacts into food safety. And this is one where the cycle for my kids on this is they don't watch. Um, I mean, we, they don't watch TV. They they really almost almost exclusively watch YouTube. Mm-hmm. And right now what, what they're, what they're consuming are YouTube channels of Fortnite gamers playing Fortnite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these gamers are sponsored by Epic games to, to show like, here's a really cool weapon. Here's a great dance that you, you know, that, that you can buy. And, and so the YouTubers are, are really the, the marketing arm, um, of, uh, of video games. And, and it's like, it's it's pretty fascinating because a you know a traditional like thinking thinking you know forward to some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today on I, you know read, I read a press release this afternoon or this morning about a recall. It's like well, I mean that's how we consume media. My kids would would never like a, a press release would have to go to a YouTuber right and 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 the YouTubers got to talk about it right. to, 
to get into into their um, you know consumption. And they've got buying power because they come to me and say, "Let me give me give me a thousand V bucks." <laughs> which are the the dollars that are used in Fortnite to buy dances. <laughs> oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and it's it's funny because this uh, this th- not not this uh, week, uh, but last week, um, actually about the time I think we were we were recording, um, uh, it was uh, uh, WWDC, which is uh, the Apple uh, Worldwide Developer Conference, and uh, and and of course because we were recording this episode and I was doing other things I wasn't watching the the keynote um, but I did watch it later and they, they have announced Apple has announced a bunch of really interesting things that will hopefully um, help you better manage um, how much time your yes. kids spend uh, playing video games and you can set up rules and basically you know you have to do your homework first and and so I it's uh, it's it's anyway it's it's an interesting world that we live in and it has changed uh, so much even just since we first started recording this podcast um, I'm thinking um, maybe uh, you know we're missing out by not tapping that YouTube audience you know um, we I should be maybe. putting these we should be putting these on YouTube <laughs> Maybe if we were looking for the uh, seventy-nine-year-old boy uh, <laughs> demographic for for food safety, maybe, and maybe I, that's it. Maybe we are. Maybe like maybe that's the we're we're thinking too too inside the box. <laughs> I I was at um, a few months ago. I, I was asked to give a talk. I think I might have mentioned it on on the podcast a few episodes ago. But I went to DC to um, the APLU. I think that's the Association of Public land oh, grant universities. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did an APLU thing recently uh, as well, but not as recently as you, but yeah. Yeah. And so they have, um, I want to hear about yours in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they have a board on human sciences. So it's all, you know, sort of um, deans and, and program directors who, who do, you know, in, in my, my sort of smaller area of family consumer sciences. And, and so I was, um, I, my my department head is is on that group, and she asked me to uh, come give a talk and and just talk about like non non traditional funding streams to fund a family consumer science program. So I talked about um, you know, receipts that we generate from a certified food protection manager program, safe plates, and just like task orders and think you know just non traditional grants. Anyway, that's not the that's not the point. The point is the person who was before me was a marketing, uh, a social media marketing specialist from a public relations firm in Baltimore. And, um, she, uh, gave up sort of fascinating stats and, and like, so this goes back to who it is we're trying to, um, I I guess reach out to or, or connect with, with our material. You know, she, she kind of put on, uh, a bunch of statistics about high school age kids who are looking to go into college and where do they consume media? And like, kind of said, you know, don't don't bother spending money on Facebook because they only go on Facebook to connect with their grandparents, um, <laughs> and, and, right? Like that's what Facebook's for for that for that group. But but she said, um, you know, Snapchat and Instagram. Everyone has an Instagram. Um, Snapchat's how how there's lots of communication uh, within the group, but it's hard to penetrate that with a marketing um, message. But YouTube, hundred percent of the of teens in that area that are looking to go to college uh, are consuming YouTube material daily. Hundred percent, like wow. every kid is that fast. It wasn't like ninety seven percent. 
it was, you know, at some point the, the, the kids you're trying to, to get into your college programs are going to consume something on, on YouTube every day. Wow. That's uh, yeah. And I think honestly, if we're looking to recruit kids to food science, if we're not doing that, we're missing out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. So um, so what did you do at APLU? Uh, so I was just looking that up. So it's, uh, it was, it's part of something called uh, Seven Challenges for Change. And uh, it is, and I was part of Challenge 7, which is ensure a safe and secure food supply that protects and improves public health. And we'll, we'll link to that. And it, was, and it was back in 2006. And so I went uh, down uh, to Washington for, it was, I, I, and I think we might have talked about it on the podcast that I've sort of described it um, as kind of a, a, a pale imitation of uh, National Academy of Sciences. So it's, it's ah. reminiscent of that NAS process, uh, but with uh, less money <laughs> and, yes, less, yes. and less resources. Um, and it was, it was fine. It was interesting. We had, you know, breakout groups and we talked about stuff and it was, it was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't like super thrilling or anything. And I had the document like I said, I think the document eventually got published. I didn't. I didn't think it was particularly great. Um, it wasn't like I felt really positive about some of the other big projects I've done, and including um, uh, National Academy stuff. And this one, it was like, well, yeah, whatever. I mean, it'll get some some traction and some visibility, but I didn't feel like it was really. Uh, I didn't really feel like my heart was in it. Um, but, but again, it was, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I, I didn't really know about, uh, this, what this APLU organization was. Um, you know, and as you said before, APLU stands for Association of Public and Land Grant Universities. And it's, so it's sort of like the, uh, our, and they're not really a, a lobbying organization. They're, they're a .org, but it's sort of, it's sort of our presence that is the presence of, of, you know, the, the you and I, what, because we we are part of public and land grant universities. It's sort of our connection to the world of DC through through universities specifically. Um, so uh, you know through through our university specifically. So it was it was it was interesting. I would I would do it again, um, but it was uh, yeah it was it was okay. I mean it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't uh, like you know the best thing I've ever done um, in Washington. Huh. I. Um I, I was looking as you were talking. I, I found the the website, but I mm-hmm. couldn't. I can't see the. Do, I can find the document. Huh. So so that would be uh, maybe a message. Well, no, no. APLU. I think I think it's it's there. If you look on the right, it says download the report, and it's it's one report and seven challenges of change. And so our ah yeah, yeah. so yeah so I, if you, the you, challenge yeah now I see yep yeah. got it so. Well, there you go. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks for yeah. yeah. And it was a lot of people, a lot of moving parts to put this whole thing together. And they talked about a lot of different things, um, including including food safety. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was um, as I was looking at the uh, challenges here. You've got increasing yields and profitability, breeds, uh, decreasing food loss, uh, sharing resources, uh, ensuring inclusive and equitable food systems, and addressing dual burdens of undernutrition and obesity. Uh, and then the last one, challenge seven, ensure safe and secure food supply. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was an interesting experience, um, uh, to go and, and had a, a lot of good feedback. And, and in fact, uh, it, you know, was a different type of talk that I had given in the, in the past. So it was kind of cool to you know, pull, pull that kind of material together. Um, but, but yeah. Um, so, 
before I, I want to, I want to talk about something else before we jump too much into, into food safety, uh, or at least two things I'm going to, I'm steamrolling you today, Don. This is, I mean, this is probably how it works most of the time. <laughs> well, and let let the record show that we both did our usual thing, which is where I, you know, <laughs> meticulously carefully over the, over the intervening time period, gradually put things into the inbox. And then today, um, you just like dump a whole bunch of stuff in about a half an hour before we start. So, <laughs> so it's fine. It works. It, we we found yeah. our process. It works. It works yeah. for us. One hundred and fifty uh, uh, six times we, that we've done it. Uh, <laughs> it seems it seems to be okay. Uh, so uh, I um, uh, last week I, I got to uh, do. I we we recorded a podcast. I guess uh, was it a week ago today? I, I think, think so. it was. Yeah. So we were. Look at this. We're double double. So I left almost immediately after we recorded our podcast and went to. Rhode Island, uh, to, uh, the university of Rhode Island and, um, uh, taught a workshop that was host, uh, hosted by, um, Nicole Richard, who is a member of the 1056 group, which, um, the listeners who are not, uh, food safety nerds at, at Atlanta Craig <laughs> universities, we have no idea what that is. Yeah. It's not, it's not like 420. It's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Um, so, so Nicole is, um, a, uh, an extension, uh, associate extension professor, I think something like that, but an extension, uh, person at, uh, university of Rhode Island. And, um, we've been teaching this course on, uh, specialized processes and HACCP plans for retail and variances over the last, a uh, little while. And so, so we, we were there for a few days, uh, Natalie, uh, Seymour, who, who's, uh, works for me and Noro nerd, uh, Ver- Veronica Bryant, um, from our, uh, state department of health. And, and so we put on this workshop and it was awesome. Um, and, uh, got to meet a lot of cool folks in, in Rhode Island. I'm going to circle back around to that in a, in a second, but, um, the second part, second leg of my trip was I had a meeting in, uh, Washington DC, uh, the nation's capital, uh, on Friday with, um, and I don't have my bell today, so I need you to get ready for this, but with John Lachansky and Anna Portafet, uh, thank you. Um, and Jill Hookstein, um, and, uh, some folks from, uh, I know who I, who's maybe not all like public, so I won't name drop everybody, but some folks from the food industry all around, uh, the DC area and the country who are, Involved in organizing a forum, um, a, a sort of a, a get to, together in in some food safety stuff later this year. That's all. That's all I'll say about it. But anyway, I happen to be in D.C. on Thursday night uh, in preparation for my meeting Friday afternoon or Friday morning, and um, the something like in my little tiny world of food safety and hockey happened on Thursday night. And that was the Washington capitals won the Stanley cup championship. And I, they, they played the game in, uh, this is uh, game five of the series. They, they won the series four games to one and, uh, game five of the series. They, they played in, um, Vegas in, in Las Vegas against the Vegas golden Knights, but in downtown DC, like in right outside of the, uh, Capital One Arena, which is where the Capitals play their home games. There, I, I arrived, uh, took the metro, dropped my stuff off at my hotel, and then walked a mile down um, to the Capital One building for and watched the third period outside with like thirty thousand people uh, <laughs> on massive screens, and it was like the craziest thing I've ever been part of. And 
Um, I'm not a, I'm not a diehard Washington Capitals fans and it's fan. And there were lots of them around, um, uh, including, uh, Michael Bizzacco, who I think listens to the podcast every once in a while. Yep. Um, and, um, Michael was actually at, uh, not, not, he was not there. He was at the game in, in Vegas. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which so is, that's a another, fan. Yeah. That's a, it's a serious fan. Um, but I, uh, I watched uh, this you know, this game unfold, and then as the clock ticked down, everyone cheered, and people were so happy, and, and it was just like a really like safe place. People were climbing on poles and high fiving and smoking cigars, and then all of a sudden, a marching band showed up. Like, I mean, did anybody that, eat any poop? <laughs> I did not see anyone eat any poop. This is not a Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles uh, championship. This is, I mean, the. Uh, uh, the much more civilized Washington DC. I'm sure that's just pissed off all of our, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, uh, or Philly uh, Eagles fans and Philadelphia uh, listeners. Um, but it was really cool to be, to be there. And then since then, Alexander Ovechkin, who is the captain of the Washington Capitals, um, he, the, they're awarded the Stanley cup, which is the, I am a little biased, but it's the most beautiful trophy that there, there is in sports. And it's huge. It's not like a, it's not a medal that goes around your neck and it's not this like trophy that sits on a, on a mantle. It's, I I think it's like 65 pounds or something. And it, and it's probably, um, uh, two and a half feet tall, maybe almost three feet tall. Isn't it now you, you know this better than, than I do. Isn't it a thing where it get, it got bigger every year or it still gets bigger? Like, don't they add on to it or something? Isn't that why part of the reason why it's so big? Yeah. So it did get, big. it started just as a cup. Um, and I'm, I'll find a link here, uh, to put in the show notes, but it, it started out just as like a, like, like a, um, like a bowl. Essentially. Yeah. If you, if you look at, if you, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia article and if you look at the top, like the cup is the thing on the top and then it's just sort of had bases added to it. And then now it's just this bizarre, huge base with this tiny little cup on top. It's a, I, I would, I mean, I understand it has sentimental value. I I would say it is a, but ugly. It is not, it it is not a beautiful trophy at all. It is probably one of the (laughs) ugliest things I've ever seen. (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I, I guess, um, uh, beauty is in the eye of the, the beholder. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and it, it is, it is definitely not, um, uh, like it looks like someone's pieced it together over time, which is what's happened. Exactly. Right? And, and, and I love, I love that aspect of it, but it's, I wouldn't call it beautiful, but it is, well, I, it is I definitely a, uh, it is definitely a Frankenstein, uh, trophy. It, yeah. And, and you're, um, if you win the cup, your name gets engraved on it, which is kind of special from not, not all, um, I, I don't think that happens in any other trophies. Like if you win a Super right. Bowl, you, yeah. get a, you get a ring. Well, yeah, yeah. you get a ring for this, but your name goes on it and, um, it, it has been in different, like, so they just kept adding rings and names and now they peel the rings off and they're placed flat and they're, they're in this like glass at the hockey hall of fame. And I believe I read something like um, the, the uh, it was like 1952 to 1961. Those cups and all those names are coming off uh, this year after the um, to to put to make room for the Washington Capitals. Oh, so so it's the newest the newest people's names that are on the cup and it rotates yes. through. Okay, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It kind of like you drop off over yeah. time. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, no, and, and I and I um, and I and there's also a tradition that that if you are on the winning team, that you get to have the cup for a while and you take it around. And uh, I know, uh, and this just shows you that I do have, I do know something about hockey. So, uh, so uh, Joey Newendike, who was a hockey player uh, who played for Cornell uh, when he was an undergrad, um, uh, was on a team that won the Stanley Cup. Don't ask me which team. Um, and he would, he has taken the Stanley Cup. With with him to Ithaca, um, uh, and and so you know people. Uh, so there's there's a connection, and of course yeah. my family still lives in the area, and so you know there's a, there's a connection there's a connection there, and I understand that, and, I, and that's and I, that, that's a great tradition. I love that. It, yeah, it really it really is. He he actually won three Stanley Cups. Well, see there you go. <laughs> yeah, he he went won a uh, cup with the Calgary Flames in 1989. Uh, won a cup with. Um, the Dallas stars in 1999 and then, uh, New Jersey devils in 2003. Wow. Um, it's almost as if you have an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, I, uh, hockey, Ben. I do. I kind of got a thing. Uh, also have the, have the Wikipedia <laughs> that I can look at really quick. Uh, and, uh, Joey, Joey, Joey Newendike is, is from Oshawa, Ontario, which yeah. is about 15 miles away from where I grew up. Yep. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a super cool thing. And it was, so it, you know, two, two things. One is, yeah, you get to take it for, um, a day or two days and, and everyone gets it at some point, you know, during the, usually in the, in the off season. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, it goes to, uh, there's a, a Twitter, um, uh, feed for, and I think the guy's name is Philip Pritchard, who is the keeper of the cup. And I think that might be what his Twitter handle is. Um, he is the guy who goes, his job is to go around with the Stanley cup and, and protect it from (laughs) as best he can. (laughs) Yes. Um, and there have been like, um, stories about the Stanley cup, uh, when Dallas actually won it in, I think in 1999, that it was, uh, you know, thrown out of a window, uh, from, uh, in a player's house into a pool and it got a big dent on it that they had to repair. Um, and so, so anyway, the, the funnest part or the most fun from the last couple of days is that Alexander Ovechkin, the captain has been taking this cup around. So (laughs) this has permeated my, uh, my Twitter sphere. Yes. It's amazing. This guy, um, I, I was, I, I was very happy that, that he won the cup. He's one of the, one of definitely one of the greatest players to, he'd been in the, the league for 14 years and one of the, the greatest players in the world who had never won a cup. And he seems to have like taken loving this cup to a whole new level. Um, and he's just like singing every, I, I've just seen all these Instagram stories and, and tweets about him just showing up at bars and restaurants in the DC area, just like by himself essentially with the cup and just screaming, we are the champions and, and doing <laughs> stands. And it's, it's like it, everything about it makes me excited because the, no one, no one seems to be nearly as excited as Ovechkin. And <laughs> yes. And he seems really excited. It's, it, it just, it warms my heart. I love it. Um, and he, uh, uh, you know, so there's lots of good Twitter jokes about how, um, yes, everyone gets the cup for a day, but this year you also get Alexander Ovechkin cause he's not letting go of it. So it's <laughs> like every, he's just going to travel around with it. Um, anyway, it was, it was very cool to be in, in Washington DC for, for that to happen. And it made me the bittersweet part was my team, which hasn't, you know, John Maple Leafs who, who have not won since uh, 1967. Uh, it, I was like, Oh, this would be. 
I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like in Toronto. Like I, I was, I was there and it was cool as a viewer, but I don't, I don't have an emotional investment in it. And all these people around me, I, you know, you could just tell like people are crying and I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. Um, so, so that was, yeah, my, my food safety, uh, uh, hockey trip to, to DC this week. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk about before we get into stuff that's in the, um, in the file was, uh, well, there is something, um, you know, in the, in the file on this, but that, um, someone, uh, that, uh, Tony Bourdain, um, died, uh, yeah. last week yeah. and just like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't usually, Oh, I don't know. I, mean, I shouldn't say this. Like I do get usually like I, some, you know, when you see celebrity deaths, they, they do, uh, often make you pause and think. And, and I do get, um, I you know, sometimes have a emotional ties and, and it, I had a very, had a very sad day on Friday. I, so I had this like crazy experience on, on Thursday night and then woke up Friday morning, had breakfast with, um, John and Anna and Jill. And as I was eating breakfast, I, I got this alert on, on my phone that, um, that, uh, Tony Bourdain had, had, uh, committed suicide in, in, um, in, uh, France and, um, and is uh, like Eric repair, who, who's a, another chef, um, fa- you reportedly found him and he was, uh, he, just a lot of, a lot of things that were, uh, I guess kind of emotional about the, um, about the situation, but I, I don't want to, I don't, what I want to talk about is, um, I, my, and I've talked a little bit about this in the past, but I want to tell you, I guess a a little longer, more in depth story, but I, part of the reason why I do a lot of food safety work in food service was, I I think in, in part of reading, um, kitchen confidential from Anthony Bourdain. And, um, I, I I think I've shared a, a story in the past that I didn't know a whole lot about, um, food service at all. Like, I mean, I'd ate at restaurants, but before, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like I didn't, I had never been in the back of a restaurant other than when I was eight years old, I had a birthday at McDonald's and part of the birth, my birthday at McDonald's was like, here's the kitchen. And you, you know, the birthday kid gets to go around, which was very cool at, at eight. Um, but, but I'd never, I, 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 like, I didn't have any experience. I never worked in food service growing up. I never w- worked in that, in that environment. And, um, when I was, uh, it, how this, how this happened or how I got like involved in, in, um, food service, or at least getting some experience in, in food service was when I, I did my master's degree. Um, my thesis was working with, uh, it w- was, uh, around a project working with uh, greenhouse vegetable producers. Um, they were growing tomatoes and cucumbers in Leamington, Ontario, primarily. And, um, I, I remember my defense day pretty vividly because I had, uh, my defense was in the morning. Um, and I, we had a hockey planned for like, we, there was a Thursday and there's pickup hockey at noon. And so the goal was to like have my defense done so I could go play hockey <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> priorities. And I, yeah. Priorities. And then I did. And, you know, Doug was on, on my, I was obviously on my, on my committee. And, um, so, so the goal was like, okay, let's just like bang this out in the morning. Let's go play hockey. And then after, afterwards you can go, we can go have a couple of drinks at, at a bar. And that one of my committee members is actually, um, his name is Gordon Surgeon. We've talked about on the podcast. He was retiring that day. 
um, as well. So he had a retirement party. So it was like, we had this whole like plan, like defense hockey, go to Gord's retirement. And at, so we did that. And at Gord's retirement, he, um, he mentioned that, you know, his, you know, the last sort of official thing that he, that he did, uh, before his retirement. And he actually has since gone back to work and retired again. And I think is still working. So it does, it's, it's not as special now, but right. at that time he was like, so my, you know, my last official thing before retiring as a, um, as a professor was like doing this defense today. And so he talked a little bit about this and his like retirement remarks, but he also told, so that he also told a story about, um, when he started, he's an entomologist, and um, when he started at um, the University of Guelph, his all of his entomology research was in mosquitoes. But he was being hired as an agricultural entomologist to work on uh, disease control in crops and in livestock. And so he he told the story about how he didn't know anything about that world, and he had a mentor who had said, you know, when you start at your your job here at the University of Guelph, why don't you take the first semester and travel around Ontario and go get familiar with with the agricultural world? And and Gord took it to I guess the next level and and called up a bunch of producers and said, look, I don't know anything about beef production. I'm going to be your entomology specialist. So can I just come work on your farm for a while? Like I'll show up. You don't have to just like. Uh, tell me where, tell me a good place to stay. Um, I'll, you know, I'll take care of the, um, the living costs, but I just want to volunteer. So I understand what your, what, what life as a beef farmer is, because if I don't know that, I don't think I'm going to do a good job being a beef, you know, production entomologist. Cause I don't, I just don't know what it's all about. And so he told that story and, and I like that story kind of stuck with me. Um, and, and I had, Another mentor, uh, Tanya McLaurin, uh, who's, who ended up, uh, being co-advisor on my, uh, PhD, um, uh, uh, committee, um, and her background, she was, um, from the state of Kansas, uh, and, um, got into, she was a hospitality specialist uh, and sort of food service, food safety person, but coming at it from the hospitality school world. And so she, she had, um, she got into the world of uh, of food safety as um, the like coordinator of dining services for catering at Kansas State University, and then she started um, taking more classes and then teaching in that area, and then became a professor on teaching hospitality food safety. So she was at this um, at, at this retirement as well, and and afterwards um, there's a reception, and I was sitting around with her and, and um, talking about like how. Um, how <clears throat> Gord's words had kind of resonated with, with me. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm already, I, I know that I'm going to be moving into this, you know, non farm food safety, uh, world. And, and I, I want to be going into restaurant stuff and, and I don't know anything about it. And so she, her, her, um, comments to me were, um, you know, sort of twofold one, let's find you some experience. Why don't you, know, why don't you go and, and and find a place where you can um, know more about what the system is like. And then two, she gave me a copy of uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. And I I had been doing, um, I've been planning some some travel. I don't I, after my my master's thesis, I went through this like whole weird like I don't know re- reflection stage where I had some time off before school was going to start again and. I went and visited family and 
in Ottawa and, and like my, this is like a tangent, but my, my grandfather had, had fought in world war two and he, there is a, a book sort of written about his experiences and, and his, um, uh, battalion. And so I started reading about that. And, and so on these, like, as I was traveling and, and trying to like find out more about what I wanted to do next and, and also like ended up like connecting with my family, I ended up reading this book. Like I remember reading it, like, on a train to Ottawa, on a plane somewhere. And, and it, it was the most, like, I, I ended up reading it back to back twice. Um, and, uh, and it was the most, like, I, I would say from a, what I do now, it, it gave me a, just enough insight to figure out that I needed to know more about, um, the restaurant world before I could really have any credibility from a, from a food safety standpoint. And, and it was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know who Anthony Bourdain was before that. And then, um, not soon after this, uh, it was, I think it was 2001. He wrote another book about, um, traveling throughout the world, which ended up moving into his TV show. Um, you know, the inspiration for that. So I just, I mean, like I've, I've consumed everything that he's written, um, you know, now, um, but didn't know who he was until this part. And I like, I literally, and remember this like conversation with Tanya when she's like, Hey, I have a book for you. And then the next day she's like, come by my office and she gave me the book. So it's, I mean, it's very, it, that just the, um, you, you don't like, I, I'd never, I'd never met him. I, you know, you, you don't often, um, you get to, to connect with people on this kind of stuff. But it was just like his, that book made it, you know, it, it was a, a step on why I, why I do what I do. And, and the second part was I ended up as, you know, Tana suggested and I ended up volunteering in a restaurant and washing dishes for like a three or four month period and taking the stuff that I'd read about in, in Anthony Bourdain's book and being like, Oh, this is like, this kind of stuff's happening here. Like, like it was all, not, yeah, it, it, some of the stuff seemed really fanciful. And then when, when I was in the system, I was like, Oh no, there's, there's a lot of substance abuse here. Um, you know, this is a, a full contact kind of place where, um, it's not like another job spot where I've been, where people are really like getting yelled at and, and like maybe hit with a, with a spoon if they're in the way. And, and, but, but it was a team environment that I'd never been part of before. So anyway, that was, that that's where that kind of hit me hard on Friday. Yeah. And so I, uh, let me, let me tell my, uh, my Tony Bourdain story. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I was in, also traveling this week, although not as much as you, I was down in Atlanta for the American society for microbiology meeting, uh, because I'm an editor, uh, for the journal, uh, uh, applied environmental microbiology. And I don't, ASM is not really my go-to meeting, uh, the science. I mean, it's a good, it's a good meeting, but it's not, um, it's not a must attend uh, like IAFP is for me, um, and so I was down there uh, for that meeting, and uh, my wife uh, traveled with me, and uh, she um, uh, wanted to go antiquing, and so actually she had her first experience with uh, with uh, Lyft because uh, you know I, I, I've had an Uber account, and she was uh, trying out Lyft, and so we were we were staying staying in touch, and and she she sent me a text message right as uh, her Lyft. Uh, car got to the place where she was going to go antiquing, and she said uh, 
that uh, Tony Bourdain was dead. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, that's a, that's a big deal. And so it made me think about um, when I first met him. Or not when I, when I, the only first and only time I met him. And it was, it was really interesting. We were both, I had um, been uh, a guest a number of times on a radio show on WHYY in Philly called A Chef's Table, uh, which is hosted by uh, Jim Coleman. And uh, we'll, we'll, link, uh, we'll link to a webpage that talks about Jim. So he's, uh, he's, a, he's a chef. Um, at the time, uh, he was working for WHYY at the time that he had me on his show. Um, uh, he was the executive chef for the Rittenhouse Restaurant, which is a fancy uh, uh, AAA five-diamond hotel uh, in Philadelphia. He's since moved on and has done a bunch of other uh, uh, executive chef things, but he had a, a TV show and a radio show, uh, both on WHYY. And, uh, and I, I've been a guest a couple times before and it was, it was, it was fun. He's, he's a good, he's a nice guy. He's uh, you know, very personable. Um, and he invited me down to again, be a guest and I come in and, and the, I don't know how it's laid out these days, but, and this was, you know, right as kitchen confidential was coming out. Um, and nobody, nobody knew who Tony Bourdain was. And I, I walk into the lobby, uh, you know, in advance of my, um, uh, interview and there's a guy sitting there and he looks kind of sketchy. <laughs> he smells, he's a sk- skinny guy, smells like cigarette smoke. Um, he's wearing a leather jacket and beat up jeans and he kind of, like he kind of looks like he he's acting like he belongs there, but he doesn't he, he could have easily just been a street person that just kind of like came in uh, to get out of the rain, except it wasn't raining. And uh, and he's got he's got some rings on his, his fingers, as I recall, uh, or maybe I, maybe I'm conflating him with um, uh, what's his name from the Rolling Stones. Um, uh, not Mick Jack, Keith Richards. Keith, I'm, Keith com- Richards, I'm conflating yeah. him with Keith Richards in my mind, but um, uh, and he's he's got a very he's got a very nice, uh, warm smile, and uh, I think he says hello, and you know we shake hands, and and uh, it turns out this is uh, executive uh, chef uh, Tony Bourdain, and he's got a new book coming out, and nobody had heard of him at that point, um, but he's got this new book coming out, and we and the idea of the show, I think what the producer had done was well, we're going to have this. This you know this this chef guy who's written this book that talks about how you know you've got this this cooking culture and, and chef culture and kitchen culture and then we're going to have this uptight uh, academic food microbiologist but it was but it was great like we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't really disagree maybe we we taught, we had some conversations about you know undercooked food versus not and but but he was he was really just an interesting and 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 cool guy to meet and we had a good chat on the show and I think it was good radio I don't know if the if the thing still exists out there today if the, if it's if it's online anywhere but it would be fun to find but it was really it was really an interesting interview and it was a pleasure to meet him and I had never read the book before um never heard of the book but I immediately went out and got the book and I think we've we've also talked about it before on this show it's a really good it's a really good look at what it's really like to work in a kitchen and I I had some sense of what it was like but he really doesn't pull any punches about like what about how rough this world is and he talked about it on the on the show he talked about um you know getting burns on your hand and like a badge of honor and I mean it was it's it was really a, a a real eye opener for me. And so that's my, that's my Tony Bourdain study, uh, uh story. And it's, uh, and I, I've, you know, been thinking about, uh, him, uh, since, since the news came out of his passing and it's, a, it's, it's, it's sad. And, 
it's, uh, you know, it, it definitely puts a spotlight on mental health and how people who youth may have every appearance in the world of being successful uh, in their careers. And he certainly went on to an amazing career um, from from just a, a, a guy who was a chef who wrote a book. Uh, he parlayed that into an incredible uh, career and did really some good good work of just you know getting out there. And it's been it's been very nice to see the stories come in about. I mean, it's a it's a tragedy, but it's nice to see stories come in about what a, what he seemed to have really been a just a decent good guy. And uh, it's it's a it's a tragedy and. You know, it's um, it's it's too bad. And and again, I would say, you know, anytime we people who are celebrities um, uh, commit suicide, it does seem to cause an uptick in uh, suicide in the general population. And so we'll put here as a public service, if you are uh, thinking about hurting yourself or if you are struggling with depression and anxiety uh, or other mental illness, you should realize that there is help out there and uh, we'll, uh, we'll put a link to the, um, uh, the, the, the suicide hotline because uh, there are people out there who uh, will talk to you and, and will, will help you if, you if you are struggling. So, so please um, uh, you know, make yourself, uh, make, make the, uh, avail yourself of those resources. It's, uh, it's just a toll-free phone call. Yeah, and I, I'll put out the, I guess the corollary message to that is if if there's someone in your life who, you know, you you think might be struggling with stuff, um, don't hesitate to to reach out and and check in because I think that's that's the other thing is I, I, we we've got we've lots of great support systems out there, um, and and sometimes if it was if it was as easy as 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 people trying to connect with them. Um, you know, we, we may have, uh, we may move the, um, uh, 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 sort of, uh, away from, from this, but you know, the, the stuff that, that I, that I read about, um, you know, mental health and, and depression over the last few days just makes me realize how complex it is and how, how it, it is a, you know, a true, um, you know, illness or, or disease. And, and there's some, a, a couple of things that I'm going to, um, pull from from articles there's uh, on it um, from something that was in the New York Times and in, in um, you know the, the, the you know, it wasn't the New York Times obituary but it was like the announcement I guess of, of his death there was an interview with his mom and she she said he had everything success beyond his wildest dreams money beyond his wildest dreams and and you know as as you said Don it, that. When, when you're looking at, at something like um, a depression, that that stuff doesn't doesn't fix it, right? It doesn't doesn't matter, right? Um, and so it's you know that that kind of kind of thing. Um, there was uh, another um, another article that you, again you you don't like we don't we don't know we don't know what people are going through, and we don't know even like even within people that you you are. Um, that you see, it's not even like a celebrity, but people that you, that, you know, you never know what people are battling with, uh, sort of, uh, day to day. And I, I read, um, and you know, an article that was sort of talking about, um, Kate Spade, um, as well as, uh, Anthony Bourdain. And, um, this is again in, uh, New York times, uh, and this is an opinion article that was by, um, I think it was, uh, yeah, Frank Bruni. Uh, he said, uh, stuff like this, uh, 
speaks to the discrepancy between what we see people on the outside and what they're experiencing on the inside, between their public faces and their private realities, between their visible swagger and invisible pain. Parts unknown, that was true of Bourdain, that was true of Spade, that's true of every one of us. And it, I, I think we you know, too often get into our day-to-day stuff and forget that. And, and these events make you realize a little more that um, – yeah, the, this, this, there, there are people that are struggling with this every day. Um, so it's, yeah, it was, it, I thought, uh, I, I don't, I, I've been struggling on what to write about this because the story that I, that I just told is something that I want to capture for, for barf blog. And I've, I, the, what, what I've, there've been such, so many, uh, you know, as, as you said, so many great stories and, and sort of, eloquent addressing of the situation in this coverage that I don't want to, I just don't want to add to the, to the noise, right? Like I, I, it's so much as, as, has already been said in, in such a, such a great way that, that I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to replicate it. So I've been struggling with this. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it today was to try and figure out how to, how to, how to share, share my experience on it. Um, so, um, when, before we move off, off of this, there's, this, there's another book that I wanted to, to highlight that I read around the same time as, uh, as Anthony Bourdain's and, uh, Kitchen Confidential. And was, the book is called Heat by, um, Bill Buford. And I'll, I'll send you a, a link here, Don. We can put this into the, um, into the files. And, and Bill Buford, uh, was a writer for, um, The New Yorker. And then he, uh, decided, um, this is in the mid 2000s that he would just go learn how to um, make pasta in Italy and worked in Mario Batali's restaurant and um, a, a really like a someone coming at it from a journalistic standpoint like uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, um, sort of reality um, type you know um, uh, type publishing and it was it was also really it was good for those who are looking for other types of um, reading around that, that genre to get a sense of what, what it's maybe like. And again, in my experience was really only four months, but, um, the, these two books really kind of helped. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you're a food safety person that's getting into food service, go ahead and check these books out. Cause they're totally, they totally helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And before we leave this completely, uh, we'll just give the um, the uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's one eight hundred two seven three talk or one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. So, so there's people there to help. Uh, if you if you know someone who's struggling, uh, reach out to them. If you're struggling, uh, reach out as well. So, so yeah. So, so some sad news, but um, yeah, it's um, it's 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 sad, but but wow, let's uh, let's celebrate um, uh, what what people like Tony Bourdain and. Uh, uh, have, have been able to, to create in the world. So good stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good, good point. Um, so, so moving, so moving on. Oh man. So we only talked a week ago. We really could do this. I think every day. <laughs> well, I was, I was worried. I was worried oh, that it has been a week and that not much, I hadn't have put too much in, uh, into the Dropbox, but then you, you dropped a whole bunch of stuff and we do have, we do have a bunch of feedback that I want to get to as yeah. well. So, so should we do some feedback? Let's do some feedback. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So, so first of all, uh, this episode will come out, uh, I hope, uh, before, uh, our, um, event at Michigan state. Um, and so basically, uh, Thursday night, um, which is going to be uh, not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday. So Thursday, um, uh, June twenty first. Yes. Uh, 
we will be in <laughs> East Lansing. I'm your hype guy all of a sudden. <laughs> we will, yeah. Yes. Yes. We will, be, <coughs> we will be in East Lansing, Michigan. And uh, we will be uh, meeting up with at least two of our fans, and uh, more are welcome. So uh, we don't know the details yet, uh, but you can reach out to us on on Twitter, and and we will uh, uh, provide more details. But so on uh, Thursday, um, June twenty first, we will be uh, in. Um, we will be doing a live podcast at the MSU College of Law Conference on Food Safety and Food Law. Um, <clears throat> which I did not realize was a rather expensive uh, uh, conference. So if you are a poor uh, graduate student or uh, other otherwise can't afford the uh, very high registration fees, don't worry, we still want to hang out with you. So if you can't make it to the conference, um, again, Thursday night, uh, June 21st. Um, and we will also put a link uh, to the uh, Food Law Seminar in case you do uh, want to come to that conference. Uh, it's a great, gonna be, looks like it's going to be a great conference. Um, our podcast is just one small part of it. Um, but by all means, um, uh, come to the podcast, uh, come to the conference, uh, or at the very least come and uh, drink beer with us, uh, Thursday night. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, just to, to echo what Don said, um, just follow, like follow us on Twitter. I think that's probably the best way for us to, to communicate as this evolves. So check if you are, if it's, if you're listening to this and it's like Thursday, the 21st at like 5 PM and you're like, Oh, I wonder what Don and Ben are doing in like an hour, go check our Twitter feed <laughs> because we'll post about it there and go come find us. Cause it, um, you, you and I've talked about this, uh, in the past, but it is very cool to, to finally meet people that we've interacted with through the podcast, either on social media or, or via email. So, so please come like, this is for, for us. We, it's only a couple times we've done this, but, um, please come hang out and, and we love to, um, to chat and, and meet other food safety people. That's it, one, you know, one of the things that, um, travels, a travels, a grind. What makes it great is hanging out with cool people. So come be those cool people. Absolutely. And, uh, um, uh, another bit of uh, feedback, <clears throat> which I thought was very funny. <clears throat> we got a, an email from a listener, um, who, uh, who's been mentioned before on, on this show. And that's, uh, Ruth Petran, um, who, uh, published that paper that we can't stop talking about with, uh, Craig Hedberg. Um, and she emailed us, uh, actually with a question about, uh, the one in 10,000 eggs. Um, so, uh, Ruth, uh, writes, and uh, no, I don't have permission to share this, but I'm assuming it's okay. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, throw, we all throw this fact around a lot that a one in 10,000 eggs is positive for salmonella. And she said, I've searched for its source and I see it attributed to us, to you and I, Ben. Um, <laughs> but would you point me to the real source? <clears throat> and absolutely. Um, and uh, she says, it must be data input to a risk assessment somewhere. And uh, I, I said, I absolutely, I agree. Um, but I couldn't immediately put my fingers on it either. But I did a little bit of uh, Googling. And it is from a risk assessment. And we will put uh, a link in um, to uh, the risk assessment that I was able to find it. And that is a document from October 2005 entitled Risk Assessments of Salmonella Enteritidis in Shell Eggs and Salmonella Species in Egg Products. And um, it on page 130 of that document, and it's a PDF document um, on the web, on page 130, it says, and I quote, or about three eggs in every 10,000 would be contaminated at lay. Um, I think uh, the statement that I often say, which is one in 10,000 to one in 20,000, that I think is based on an earlier risk assessment, um, which came out in 1998. Um, but 
uh, again, um, that and that 1998 document is referenced on uh, page eight of the 2005 document. But I think we need to start saying something different, Ben, uh, which is not one in 10,000, but three in 10,000, because that seems to be the most recent of information, uh, at least current as of uh, October 2005. So one in every, so sorry, three in every uh, 10,000 eggs is contaminated uh, at the point of laying. Should we? Okay, so so the, the, I, I'm glad you dug this up because I wanted to talk about it. Because what mm-hmm. I usually say um, or have been saying is somewhere in between one in ten thousand and one in twenty thousand. Because I think there was another Canadian risk assessment oh, maybe, yes. that showed in one in twenty thousand. So be. that's what yeah. what I've like relied on. But really, maybe what I need to to say is instead of three in in ten thousand seems a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. So what if we said? In between one in thirty five hundred, <laughs> is that is that the same? Is three in right? Is it close? Like it's not three three hundred and thirty three, but is that like or am I? Is that is that like a bad use of um, food food microbiology math? No, I think the math is correct. I'm I'm just not. Sh- I think three in ten thousand is easier to remember, um, but. But yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, it, essentially it boils down to the same thing. Okay, good. Cause I just wanted to make sure, you know, sometimes I make these math calculations without thinking about what I'm actually like, what I'm actually doing. You know what I mean? Like, like three, anyway, well, this, we, one, and, well, this is this, an easier one. But. And this is, this is relevant to our discussions, uh, on the last show about, um, well, it's relevant to discussions about pooling of egg products, but it's also relevant to, um, slicing your own meat and, uh, positive rates of pathogens in, in cuts of meat, et cetera. So, and you're right. I mean, it's sometimes the math can be wrong and, and even, you know, even my math can be wrong. So, so obviously, you know, put a, put an asterisk there, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to, <clears throat> I'm going to try to start saying three in, uh, 10,000, but yeah, one in, uh, 3,500 or one in, uh, yeah, one. Yeah. It's, that's, 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 that's pretty good too. So cool. Okay. So you good, could, say, you could even say one in 3000 eggs yeah. is, is, is contaminated. One in like about 3000, one in about 3000. There you go. Yeah. Um, and, and again, these are like, anytime we're, we're doing this, these are estimates, right? Like, um, estimates based on, surveillance that that has um variability well, from year to year and in yeah and in this case it's based on data that's more than 10 years old right because right. it's uh, this is an october 2005 uh, risk assessment and so um it's only an estimate it's only as good as uh, the number of eggs that you test to come up with that estimate so it's not uh, it's not a perfect uh, these aren't perfectly exact uh, numbers but they're useful for estimation purposes right yeah yeah exactly um, so thanks to thanks, thanks to Ruth for reaching out with that question. Yes, indeed. Um, so uh, yeah, so uh, let's do uh, let's do feedback on uh, uh, burgers and podcasts. And so this is uh, feedback from uh, a listener um, who who's weighing in on the discussion about. Um, uh, uh, Kenji's, uh, the discussion, the Twitter discussion I had with chef Kenji about grinding one's own beef. Um, and one thing I absolutely want to, and I, I don't, I don't know if this person, um, wants to be named. Um, but, but I, so I, I won't. Um, but I think it's, uh, fantastic. They had a, a fantastic quote about the podcast. And so before I get to the discussion of what their question is, I just want to share that quote. And, and they said, and this is, this is our, going to be our new tagline, I think, um, that our podcast is the liberal arts of food safety. It encourages us 
it encourages us how to think about food safety rather than what to think. And I just, I just Whoa, thought that, yeah. that was fantastic because yes, absolutely. And it's not, I don't think that's being disparaging to the podcast. I don't think it's being disparaging to uh, folks who are, who are liberal artists or who study the liberal arts. Um, but yes, absolutely. If this podcast, I don't, I don't necessarily want to tell you what to think, but I want to encourage you to think how to think. And that that's absolutely uh, nails it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That was that was super cool. So and and so one of the the points that this the the writer makes um uh, asks is about um what is the uh, in lowest infectious dose of typical pathogens found um uh in um uh steak and I would say as I've said before and I'll say this again, I don't like to talk about infectious dose because essentially the infectious dose um, uh, of pathogens like E. coli and Salmonella are a single organism, or at least a single organism has a probability of of causing illness. And so, mo- most stakes are going to be pathogen free, um, uh, and and most stakes that uh, are not pathogen free are going to have very low levels, and those levels will only be on the surface. And of course, if you, unless the 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 the, the stake is, is needle tenderized or blade tenderized, in which case um, the pathogens may be pushed into the inner parts of the meat. Um, and of course, as you know, we know grinding turns the outside of the meat into the inside, and so it's harder to kill organisms that are on the inside of a burger. Um, and so a rare burger is going to be a, a higher risk than a well-done burger. And um, uh, as we talked about last episode, uh, sous vide the meat uh, prior to grinding and or prior to cooking um, is going to be a, a really good way to uh, to manage that risk, I think. Um, and uh, uh, as the uh, the person says, the question is not about uh, risk reduction comparison between pre-ground from the store versus home ground from a single cut. Um, uh, that, I believe, is what uh, Chef Kenji was advocating. So, um, uh, and then the, the, the person writes uh, that two to three minutes on each side, uh, yielding a core temperature of 135 in a burger. Um, in my, I haven't done the math, but that I think is probably not a best practice because it's going to have viable pathogens in the middle of the hamburger patty. And, and I, I wouldn't choose to eat that and nor would I choose to have fed it to my uh, kids when they were, uh, when they were young. So, so that's, uh, that's a little bit more feedback on, uh, burgers and about the podcast in general. So again, I most, mostly, I just love that quote, um, encouraging, uh, the listeners how to think about food safety rather than what to think. Yeah. And one more uh, piece of uh, feedback before we move on was from someone who we have um, we, we gave the nickname of uh, Craig, the cable uh, cable guy, public health inspector. But Craig, the cable guy, public health inspector doesn't like that moniker. Right. So we're going with Craig, no nickname. Right. Um, yeah. And so um, he yeah. So we, we've changed it. And he, he talked about, um, you know, this idea of using uh, the podcast to highlight um, some ideas about flour and it was a really, really nice message about, uh, things that, that sometimes we we have impact on. So super cool. Yep. And uh, last bit of feedback, and I would be curious on your impression on this as well. Um, uh, a listener writes, uh, I was grocery shopping yesterday. I bought a typical pack of fresh boneless chicken breasts and another of ground beef. And by typical, the listener means uh, in the white uh, polystyrene trays wrapped in clear polyethylene. Uh, the woman bagging the groceries helpfully suggested putting them in plastic bags to separate them from the rest of the groceries uh, to go into the cloth shopping bags. And I, that's a good good practice and one that we practice as well. 
well. Um, uh, I thanked her and then trying to be Joe environment, I suggested putting them in the same plastic bag. And she looked at him uh, like he was suggesting to smear them with feces and said something to the effect of, that's disgusting. You can't do that. This is chicken. Um, and the listener writes, am I missing something? They're wrapped in plastic. Should I keep uncooked meats separated if I'm planning to cook them? Uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll fight each other in the bag. So do you, I have a response to this, but do you, uh, do you have a, an opinion on this? Um, yeah. So I have, I have an opinion that I think goes along with, with what your, um, your response was a little bit. So I'll, I'll, I won't, I won't, uh, read yours, but I'll steal a little bit that I think that there's a lot of, um, confusion and my example. So this is confusion between like why we're separating things and what, um, what pathogens might be associated with, with what meats and, and the point of like, we, it doesn't really matter since they're going to be cooked, cooked together. Um, the, the thing that came up while I was, um, uh, doing this workshop last week in Rhode Island, we had some industry members who were part of this workshop learning about specialized process. And one of the, one was a chef and I won't sort of like share his, his details, but he was a chef at a really progressive restaurant and wanted to do a bunch of stuff on, um, you know, fermenting meats and, um, doing charcuterie and, uh, you know, learning about sous vide and, and all that kind of stuff. But we had this conversation about, um, salmonella being an issue for chicken. And he had never, ever, ever, ever thought that salmonella could be an issue for beef. And so when we started talking about, beef and salmonella and and just, you know, the science of why that would be there. He was like, oh, this is blowing my mind. I bet you my, the people in the chef community don't think about, say, you know, we look at salmonella being a chicken thing and um, beef being an E. coli thing, but even the E. coli thing we don't worry so much about. And if, if we knew that there was salmonella in beef, we might treat it differently. And so I wonder if this is part of that, like myth or, or misunderstanding that, um, you know, someone's like, oh, well, the beef is fine. Um, and, but all of a sudden you're mixing your chicken, which has probably got a lot of salmonella associated with it, which is not something that I had really experienced much before. Yeah. And I suppose you could say, well, and, and, you know, with chicken for sure, I worry about salmonella, um, in terms of cross contamination with chicken, I would worry about Campylobacter and there has been some research, although I don't know how recent if it's been updated more recently, uh, there has been research that shows that even the outside of chicken packages have Campylobacter on them, um, just because the Campylobacter is so prevalent and it can be at high levels, and so it gets it gets everywhere, including on the outside. And so, I suppose theoretically, you could transfer Campylobacter from the outside of your chicken package to the outside of your beef package, and then from your beef package outside of your beef package to your hands, and then from your hands to your mouth, and you could get Campylobacteriosis in that way. Um, uh, I, I, you know, what we, what I do, at least when, when I go shopping for meat and, and, and I do it at, um, my local Wegmans, um, which is the grocery store that we, we choose to go to, they typically have extra bags back in the meat section and they also have hand sanitizer. And so I will, uh, double bag it, um, back at the, uh, by the meat counter, um, or by the, 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 the meat display case. Um, if it comes from the, from the behind the counter, then obviously it's the the one of the butchers is, is prepping it. But if when I pick it up myself, I'll pick it up in a plastic bag and then and then use some hand sanitizer on my hands. I put the plastic bag around the packaging to stop the rest of my groceries from becoming contaminated. Um, and and I you know and they want to put it in another bag, so they want to triple bag it at the register. And I uh, I I 
don't need that. I mean, it's probably I'll let them do it because uh, I know that I'm going to take those plastic bags and probably reuse them in my house to pick up dog poop. And so at that point, and they're going to go, uh, they're going to go in the landfill after they get filled filled with uh, with dog poop. And so I'm not worried about. I mean, you know, so I and yeah, and I'll bring my own shopping bags. Uh, I, you know, because at least I'm doing that and then I'll, I'll reuse the, uh, I'll reuse the plastic bags, uh, for, for dog poop. And so I'm not so worried, um, about like being really compulsive about not using plastic bags, but um, obviously we, we do want to reduce pollution and we do want to use as few plastic bags as, as possible. And so, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I think I don't see any problem with putting the chicken and the beef in the same bag. Again, theoretically you could, like I said, you, we could, we could do some calculations and, and figure out, you know, whether there was an additional risk benefit there, you know, what's the benefit versus what's the, the risk of creating more plastic bags. Um, it's probably not a zero risk, but it's, I suspect it's a pretty low risk, but, um, you know, it, it, but people, I think, again, the message that they're trying to communicate at these grocery stores is meat goes in a separate bag, right? And that's, right. that's the message. And you don't want to get if you want people to follow that message, you don't want a super complicated message. Like meat, can, meat can, should go in a separate bag, but you can put all the meats in the same bag together. I mean, that, that just gets complicated and people get confused. So, so all meat goes in a separate bag is a nice, simple message um, that, that has a little possibility of misunder, being misunderstood, although it may lead to extra uh, plastic bag generation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and like you, like you kind of said, it's, it, 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 well, it's food safety. It depends and it's complicated. And this is a complex message and it gets, you know, may get lost and, and confounded a little bit. So absolutely. Um, Hey, you want to talk about salmonella Adelaide? I do. I do. That's my favorite Australian salmonella. It's mine is uh salmonella walk, walkabout. <laughs> you might not be familiar with it. Waka waka. Waka waka. Mine's uh, salmonella Bruce. Uh, <laughs> Hello, salmonella. Bruce. Seven out of Sheila. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, Monty Python has ruined me for obviously my life. Um, so we've got, uh, 60 cases of, uh, Salmonella Adelaide, uh, linked to pre-cut melon in like a bunch of different States. I think it's, uh, Michigan, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Um, and most, most of the people that are sick are in, in Michigan, but this is, a uh, um, you know, the outbreak still, still evolving. Um, so, uh, this outbreak was, um, announced on, uh, Friday afternoon, uh, June 8th. As, as and are all outbreaks. They're all yes. announced on Friday afternoon. They are, they are. Um, and, uh, Cato foods, um, recalled fresh cut watermelon, honeydew melon, cantaloupe, and fresh cut fruit medley. Uh, containing at least one of these melons. Um, and this was stuff was distributed all over the place, including here in North Carolina. Uh, Costco, JC, Kroger, Payless, Owens, Sprouts, Trader Joe's, Walgreens, Walmart, and Whole Foods, Amazon. Um, and not a lot of info uh, really out there, just, hey, there's um, uh, epidemiological link. And it looks like from the epi curve, most of the illnesses, uh, you know, we're, we're at the downside of it. Um uh, sort of right now. And most of the illnesses, uh, came in, in the first couple of weeks of May, um, where, you know, it's CDC is probably seeing this. You're seeing, uh, if, if you will link to the, um, to this in show notes, but 
as as they're looking at PulseNet, all of a sudden you've got like eight cases of Salmonella Adelaide uh, a couple of days in a row and seven in another day. So it's like, whoa, there's uh, there's something going on. Right. Um, and the first illness uh, was reported um, uh, on April 30th. So right. it's a it's a while. But I mean, um, so, who you know, who knows uh, where, you know, this uh, another Another day, another salmonella fresh produce outbreak. Yep, and yeah, not not that surprising. I think uh, salmonella Adelaide is is somewhat unique. It's not it's not one that we see a lot of. I don't think it's a particularly common um, um, serotype. Um, um, and obviously, the outbreak could still grow because again, if you go to the CDC page, you'll see that uh, gray window off to the right that is uh, so common. Uh, illnesses that started during this time may not yet be reported. Uh, but if you look at the trend in that uh, gray window and the rest of the trend, it looks like, as you, as you said, uh, two cases starting at the end of April and then a big uh, spike um, from uh, looks like about the middle two weeks of, of May from May 9th to May 18th, um, where it was as many as five, six, seven, uh, eight cases a day, um, and then uh, tailing off uh, with with some, um, you know, some 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 maybe cases yet to come. So yeah, I'm, uh, you know, th- th- this is, uh, and I would say probably um, given the the mix, um, uh, it's as you said before, it's uh, fresh cut watermelon, honeydew melon, cantaloupe, and fresh fruit medley. It, you know, it, it's probably one of those came, my, my speculation would be one of those came in from the field contaminated and then that contamination spread through the fresh cut facility. Um, the fruit medley products, it may only be because of one fruit in those, in that, in that medley. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not surprising. We know that, um, salmonella is linked to these kinds of products. Um, there may have been temperature abuse during the distribution chain. Uh, should the salmonella should not grow on the outside of these uh, cut, uncut melons, uh, but once they are cut, um, that cross contaminates, and uh, that if there is temperature abuse, uh, you can start to get uh, you can start to get some growth. So not not really surprising. It is surprising. It's such a big outbreak, a case count of sixty, but that may be um, uh, well, and, and case count 60, 31 hospitalizations. So yep. pretty pretty virulent strain, um, a pretty rapid uh, ramp up. Uh, so maybe it was a particularly hot. Uh, slug of, of salmonella that came through on some melons, um, but it looks to be going away just just as quickly. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else. Uh, what else to say? I, you know, my practice is I don't buy cut melons in the store. Um, I do like uh, fresh fruit, especially in the summer, um, but I would rather cut it myself. Um, I don't. Uh, it's a common thing uh, on airplane food, uh, but when I was offered some, uh, when some was on my plate on my flight back uh, from the ASM meeting in Atlanta, I did not eat that um, because I just, uh, I just don't, I mean, obviously I didn't like I ate the other stuff on the plate, um, so I wasn't super worried about cross contamination. But I, uh, I just, I tend to stay away from that. I just don't, uh, I just don't trust that it's been appropriately managed and appropriately temperature controlled. And it can be, you can, you know, you can leave that stuff out at room temperature for a long period of time before it starts to look bad. It's not like uh, lettuce, where if you, uh, you know, leave it out, it, it really starts to shrivel up and look not good. Uh, fresh cut fruit will will look fine for a long period of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I don't know, I mean, again, we should, um, 
it'd be great to have someone uh, come on and talk a little bit about the fresh cut process, especially with, with melons. Um, I, I would assume that there's some, um, maybe some sort of antimicrobial treatment that happens for, for, um, uh, quality reasons and spoilage that uh, yeah, at, the, at the same time that keeps it so nice for so long because once it's uh you know refrigeration is, is going to be the the main control but there may be some sort of uh rinse as well that i just i just don't know about um and and maybe that's uh part of the reason why we're, we're looking at something here as you said something that was uh particularly particularly hot i think there's there's a couple of um um other interesting things or something that i want to highlight here from the outbreak um, Ill people range in age from less than a year to 97 years old, but uh, the median age is 67, and um, 65% are female. Yep. And and the 30. So um, it, the way it's a little confusing on the CDC's like at a glance because they have 60 case counts, but really they've only been able to contact or have information available from 47. Right. And of those 47 people, you're looking at 31 hospitalizations, which is 66%. Um, you know, quite, quite high. So who knows on those other 40, uh, or out of the other 13 people, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not sure about the hospitalizations, but that's pretty, that's pretty high. Right. And, and a couple of points here. So, uh, more than 50% are female, not surprising. I think, uh, women will choose, uh, foods like this because they're perceived as being healthy. Um, we saw this with some of the listeria outbreaks with, uh, cantaloupe in the past. Um, the fact that it skews older, not surprising. Um, again, this is a, these are, these are foods that my parents will choose to consume on a regular basis. Um, I wonder whether, and again, I, I, I don't know the temperature of my parents' refrigerator, but that would be a good uh, project for me to take on the next time I go to visit. But I suspect that some of these people may not have um, a good temperature control uh, on, on their fridge, and so that's going to increase the risk. And then, of course, as you get older, your immune system is less fully functioning, and so it doesn't surprise me, again, that, that this particular outbreak skews older and, and a little bit uh, female. So... Um, um, so there, again, it may just be failing immune systems. It may be, um, poor temperature control. It may be lack of awareness about food safety. Um, again, if you're, um, uh, if you're maybe have, you know, limited, um, uh, interest in preparing food. This is a quick, easy thing. You can buy it at the store pre-cut. I mean, there's just a lot of things here that, that kind of add up in terms of the demographics that we see um, about this particular case. And I, and I see you just sent me a bunch of, uh, a bunch of links. So did you want to talk about um, I, I do. The, uh, the Manufacturing Innovator of the Year? Um, yeah. Cato Foods, which is also, which is also apparently uh, the, the source of the outbreak. <laughs> yeah, really. The really interesting article that, um, that I came across as I was trying to dig up um, some info about um, Cato Foods, and, and I've I've heard of Cato Foods before. They're not a not a small um, company. They're they're sort of a, a player, um, I think, in the fresh cut world. And they were um, they were uh, awarded the Pro Food World's 2017 Manufacturing Innovator of the uh, Year Award for a line that is about fresh cut salads. And this article is really fascinating. I want to highlight some things. I mean, they talk a really good game about food safety. In fact, in most of the design, this this award is really for innovation in a, in process. But about a half of the article is is related to um, food safety and why they made some decisions in. 
um, in their design, which you know, not that's not something that I I would say is is something that we see a lot. Um, and so they talk about clean in place systems. And again, this is not for their melon line. This is specific to, um, to, a, I think a salad, uh, cut salad production, but, um, you know, I'll give you a, a quote from, um, uh, one of the Cato, uh, foods, I think VP of, of food safety says food safety continues to drive supermarkets away from making their own fresh foods. Cato provides consistency in labor procedures, quality, and overall food safety. We're producing all of these products for a thousand different stores. If an individual supermarket was doing this, they'd have a thousand different people doing it at a thousand different locations, making consistent quality and food safety difficult control. Um, and, and so, yeah, they really like sounds really, really great. And again, this is, I, I think that the common, you know, a common thing that, that we see over and over again, when we talk about outbreaks is, um, in, in this case here, here's where we have some divergence. In some cases we've got people that are like, yeah, this food safety is not something that we had thought about, or it's really important to us, but we're not implementing it here. It sounds like you've got a, a company that's really focused on it and, and where things can fall apart is in the implementation. Um, you know, if a, a particular melon comes in or, or a, 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 a shipment of melons comes in, uh, particularly hot and leads to cross contamination, uh, within the system and, and persistence, um, it, you know, t- but, but talking a really, a really good game, um, to me here, looks like they've got the infrastructure in place to, to manage and recover from this. Um, and they, uh, you know, listed on their website, they have a you know, mission statement on our dedication to food safety. They talk about being SQF and BRC certified. Um, and so those are, um, uh, schemes for, for audits, uh, talk a little bit about, um, HACCP and, um, you know, just about policies. And again, I think this is like what, what we see happen, um, where, where companies start to, um, differentiate themselves is when they have something like this, ha- you know, this, this outbreak and, uh, happen. How do they, how do they change things? How do they discover what the, what the issue was? And, um, and, and there, um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the, um, at their press release that accompanied the, um, the outbreak announcement from CDC, uh, they recalled everything and ceased operations, um, uh, ceased producing and distributing these products, um, you know, specifically. And so maybe, um, again, without knowing exactly what their system looks like and situation, um, I, I would hope they made this decision and we don't have the risk of like, um, outbreak creep, uh, or recall creep. Um, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's kind of our situation. Yeah. Well, and I, I had not read the press release, but, but props to them, um, because I think that they are, uh, trying to do the right thing, it looks like. I mean, that, certainly they give lip service to food safety, but I, you know, I, I believe that that's genuine, and certainly doing SQF and BRC are are good things. Um, the fact that they did a recall, a very extensive recall, right away, uh, that is uh, a hard thing for a company to do. But I think in a case like this, it's the right thing to do. Um, and the other thing that I'll say is that this is. You can have um, all the uh, SQF and BRC that you want, 
Um, but if you get a contaminated product in, um, I don't think there's anything you can do. Based on work that we've done with <clears throat> norovirus in tomatoes, as well as which has been published, as well as some work that has not yet been published on salmonella in tomatoes, um, basically, if you have a contaminated fruit come through and you slice it, your slicer is contaminated. And then that slicer is going to be cleaned by all of the fruit that comes through that slicer after you slice that contaminated piece. And yeah, you can stop and clean that slicer, but basically it's going to be 20 or 30. If you get with a very high level, you know, millions of organisms, it's going to be 20 or 30 slices that come through before you're down to essentially very, very low levels. And so uh, the only way to stop this through sanitation would be to clean the slicer after you slice each piece of fruit, which nobody is going to do, right? That doesn't make any kind of sense at all. Unless we come up with a different way of slicing that doesn't contaminate the slicer, so maybe using lasers or, or something, right? I mean, right, there, right. There's, there's no way uh, to, to, to really to do this and not spread that contamination. So what you have to do is make sure that the, fr- the fruit is not contaminated in the first place. And then when you have an outbreak, you, you bite the bullet and you do what these guys did, which is to recall everything. So um, and the other thing that I'll say also, uh, I, we, you, each time you say Cato Foods, um, Cato is spelled C-A-I-T-O, but I keep thinking about uh, a K-A-T-O, um, and that's uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Green Hornet's uh, sidekick, um, played by Bruce Lee. And so we will also link to a YouTube video, um, which has all of the scenes from the Green Hornet TV show with Bruce Lee as Cato. So, which is a completely different kind of thing. Also, also OJ Simpson's, uh, sidekick, Cato Kalin. That's a different Cato. That's a different Cato. Oh God. That's a much worse Cato. It's way worse, way worse. Um, if I had to rank the Catos, I would say Bruce Lee, the Cato food company, and then Cato Kalin. Cato Kalin, like 174th. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's other, yeah, there's some other Cato's that we can find in between. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I guess before we, we leave this, you know, yet again, a, a reminder of, um, the, the, the everyday risk that's carried by fresh produce and that the, that we will see, continue to see outbreaks and, um, and it's, it, it is our. It's just like a revolving door of, of companies, and and as you said, there, like there may be nothing. And again, a little speculation because that's what we like to do. But there may be nothing that Cato Foods can actually do on their side of things to have um, uh, prevented this outbreak. They, you know, the the cleaning and sanitizing limits it. But if if there was, a, um, if if product is coming in contaminated it's going to leave equally probably contaminated. And the question is how much is there and is it enough to make people sick where we start to notice it? And there's a, there's a blip, right? Like, so, but, but it's, um, we're, we, we will never get to, to zero, to zero risk or zero outbreaks, or at least I don't believe we will. Yeah. And you know, the other point that I think we've made before and we'll make it again, um, and, and it's not, it's not very comforting or very helpful, but uh, if those, uh, grocery stores that instead of using Cato foods, if they had all been slicing their own, um, and so, yeah, that's a thousand different stores that you then have to manage, but guess what? Then the outbreak would have probably been a lot smaller. It would have been confined to one store or to only the stores that got the contaminated fruit. And we 
might never have learned of it. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do. I'm not advocating to move towards that. I'm just saying that, again, part of back to our, our new tagline, teaching you how to think about food safety instead of what to think, you have to think about that, right? If you spread that signal out to a bunch of stores and those stores have better or worse uh, food safety practices, then you might that signal might not have reached to the point where you could pinpoint the product and, and trace it back to, to Cato Foods. Again, I'm not advocating that. All I'm saying is that we have to think about um, how these, uh, uh, how these uh, outbreaks present uh, to, the, to the CDC radar um, and, and what will be picked up and what wouldn't. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, not, not surprising um, and these are risky products. And, you know, I, I, I look forward to learning more about, about it. And, uh, but for, for now, I mean, I think it's, there's nothing terribly surprising here. Right, right. And I'll, I'll leave. So we talked about um, size and scope. And I think that you, you hit on something here um, that I just found in, in another article as I was Googling um, the, from the uh, Indianapolis Business Journal. Um, so that, that facility that I had talked about, that, that salad line, it was, it, Cato, it's called the Fresh Kitchen. Cato's Fresh Kitchen currently employs about 200 people and is producing 20,000 to 25,000 items per day in a single production shift. That's a lot, right? Like that's that you know every, every day. So I don't know if that's the same kind of units that they're talking about on on cut melons, but um, when you're looking at a, a maybe a short amount of exposure time, um, let's say you've got salmonella in that system for a week or two weeks, and and you're looking at distributing, um, you know, a few hundred thousand items that may be contaminated. Um, you know, it's, it's maybe not, not surprising that you see 60, 60 illnesses. Right. And in fact, we don't know how much worse the outbreak would have been, um, if Cato, uh, uh, foods had been doing a worse job, right? I mean, yep. it could have been, it could have been way worse if they hadn't, weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then, yeah. And so we'll, we'll link to that article and, uh, also we'll call out, uh, Haley Oliver, who's a f- food safety expert, um, whose photo and quote appear in that story. So, so, you know, good, good for, uh, Indianapolis business journal for talking to a food safety microbiologist. Good for, obviously they probably talked to, talk to her. Well, I, I'm speculating now that maybe they talked to her because she's done some work with, with uh, Cato Foods. But, you know, just because you're working with a, a acknowledged food safety expert doesn't mean necessarily that your foods are always going to be safe. So, right. um, you know, good, uh, good for, for Haley for, you know, talking about this and, and being interviewed for the story, but uh, doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be safe. Because oh, safety, you never get to safety, right? It's all about risk reduction. Yep. Yep. Totally. Oh, good. Good stuff. Um, and I'm sure we'll have more information. Uh, you know, to, well, I would assume we'll, we'll talk more about this, right? Like this is, we'll see more illnesses, and 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 there'll be a uh, investigation report, uh, and so we'll we'll learn more and we'll share that as we find it out as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple, I mean, a couple other things, things that I I threw in here um, uh, today. Uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, a, kind of a fun. Okay, so this one's entitled "Lost in Translation." Um, this is a an an outbreak of salmonella uh, that came from Cafe Nero, which is a, um, a an international cafe that that I've seen it. You know, especially in Europe, in lots of different spots. But oh yeah, yeah, I've uh, seen them too. Yeah. So apparently, uh, in Warsaw, in Poland, Warsaw, Krakow, and Warclaw, there were. Um, 52 cases of salmonella linked to uh, something called green. It, 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 this is where things are lost in translation. Um, 
It's either green moss cake or green mosque cake. I'm unsure which it is because it appears both ways in the in the article. And I'll find the original here. This is um, an article that was from vaju.com, V-A-A-J-U.com. So um, 52 people are sick from either a green moss or green mosque. Some of them are in hospital. This I'm reading directly from the article. Some are, Some of them are in hospital. Among the victims of salmonella raging in the famous coffee bar are children. So it's a ra- – I mean this is a raging outbreak. Um, my favorite part um, uh, here is uh, as as the inpoland.pl portal reported, the cafeteria, which I think is the cafe, did not hide its head in the sand and started the investigation itself. Without wrapping cotton, Green Cafe Nero took responsibility for himself. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, oh, sure. No, there's, there's a better sentence. And I will leave you with this, Don. Although their manager still prescribed that salmonella was, quote, slammed into the cafeteria together with one of the ingredients from its subcontractors. So, so watch out for salmonella in your green mosque cake and uh, don't bury your head in the sand or uh, without wrapping cotton. There you go. Actually, my my favorite uh, sentence in the whole article is uh, service dot run fb load method open parentheses close close parentheses uh, semicolon slash slash uh, service dot after stream loaded uh, uh, parentheses, <laughs> which which is some apparently uh, stray uh, text that appears at the bottom of that message. So yes, we will oh. we will link uh, to this uh, vaju uh, uh, dot com uh, article. Hey, so so while we're while we're talking about um, uh, funny stuff. Um, have you ever used a hot dogger four? No, I'm not, Don, I stopped at hot dogger too. Come on. I, you know, once, once you reach perfection, you know, <laughs> Ben, uh, for those cold winter days, when you're out having fun on your snowmobile and you can't find any golden arches, flat O products, that is F L A T dash O dash products. They've developed the hot dogger four. this product is going to give your stomach a pick me up. It simply attaches to the muffler on your snowmobile. Installation time, five minutes. Simply wrap your favorite food in foil or an oven bag and place the hot dog or four and have a hot meal or a snack. A it's, hot dog or four, Ben. It's on sale, bud. <laughs> it's, it's on sale at 20, $26.89 right now. Oh, my gosh. I am not. Yeah, this is good. And, you know, sometimes I'm out uh, having fun on my snowmobile. And exactly. And, and, you, and you can't find any golden arches. I, I did see a hot dog. Uh, I posted on this on Instagram a few years ago. I was at a uh, antiques, you know, barn where people are selling old things, and I saw a hot dog warmer that looked like it came out of the '70s, where it would it had a flat griddle where you could toast your buns, and these cylindri- cylindrical tubes that you would stick like six or eight hot dogs in, and and it would just heat them up, and it looked like r- a curlers. But so I think that might have been the hot dog or two, the hot dog or four for your. Um, I guess uh, mobile hot dog needs. I like the. Can, now, could I put this on my on my car, or is it only on the on my snowmobile? I think uh, it's designed for a snowmobile muffler. So I, I you could probably retrofit it. Um, you know, uh, but but yeah, you need you need you need basically a hot pipe to strap it to. <laughs> well, I'll get my. I'll, let me get my hot pipe. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Um, Don, have you uh, speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of fun things? How much uh, how much raw squid have you had uh, recently? And and my, as a follow up to that, uh, have you ever had uh, squid sperm bury itself into your tongue? Um, uh, so no, uh, no, no raw squid and no squid sperm. Uh, thank you very much. Oh my gosh. So I did, uh, see this, uh, come across an, an email and I was like, this can't, this can't be right. And really it's some terminology that's a bit wrong. So, uh, this comes out of, um, an article in, I think it was the daily mail. Um, the headline is squid sperm buries into women's tongue after she eats raw seafood. Um, and a South Korean uh, patient saw medical attention after she consumed raw squid. Doctors discovered her mouth had been inseminated by the creature's sperm, which had logged into her tongue and gums. Um, sounds like terrible. Uh, but there was uh, an, an, a paper that was in a uh, a, a journal in 2012, a journal called Zoomorphology that was linked to in this article that I went and read and uh, made it sound a little more uh, you know, scientific. Male squid produce an intricate spermatophore that when transferred to the female undergo the spermatophoric reaction, which is a complex uh, process of evagination that leads to attachment of the spermatogeum that is averted a spermatophore containing the spurred mass. Um, and it's, and, and I like this part. Well, this process is not still completely understood. Um, the medical literature includes several reports of oral stinging. So punctured wounds in the human oral cavity following consumption of raw male squid, which contains the undischarged spermatophores. Um, and so, uh, apparently it's, this is not like, uh, it's not like human sperm at all. And these are uh, looking to bore themselves into some sort of uh, flesh in the oral cavity. And uh, this is not the first time that it's happened. <laughs> well, as it says on the uh, Hot Dogger 4 website, uh, the menu is limited only by your imagination. And I would say, <laughs> you know, th- this is this is like the two perfect things you need to put together. Because if you if you wrap that wrap that uh, b- uh, b- put that, that raw squid, uh, onto the hot dog or four. Uh, I think that's going to take care of a whole host of problems for you. Yeah. You, you got it. This is, this takes care of it. You, you just use the hot pipe, right? Exactly. And, and then you're, you're good. Oh man. Um, so yeah, uh, the, that was, that was another, uh, another fun one. Uh, and then the last thing that I pulled together for us today was, uh, we don't see a lot of intentional adulterations, uh, but we in in the great state of North Carolina, my home state, uh, or uh, my you know current home state, not not where I was born. Uh, uh, this comes across from the city of Fayetteville, uh, North Carolina police uh, immediate release. Um, Detectives from uh, Fayetteville Police Department's aggravated assault unit is, uh, have charged and arrested a suspect in connection with a food tampering investigation that occurred on June 1st at Primo Pizza. Preliminary investigation revealed that a manager was preparing pizza when he observed an unknown substance mis- mixed with shredded cheese. The manager immediately stopped preparing pizza and reviewed surveillance footage to determine who prepared the shredded cheese. And it was determined that Ricky Lee Adami, Adami, 59 years old, um, was preparing cheese when he placed an unknown substance in the cheese shredder machine. And uh, turns out he pl- placed some rat poison uh, in there. So not – not un- we are unsure as to why uh, this is the case, but uh, a good good job from someone pr- uh, practicing good active managerial control uh, and keeping their eyes open uh, at um, 
this pizza place, uh, which uh, called Primo Pizza, keeping rat poison from making it to uh, people who have ordered pizzas. And uh, uh, Ricky Lee has been arrested and charged uh, with distributing food containing noxious, de- deleterious material. And he's being held uh, at the Cumberland County Detention Center on a thousand dollar, $100,000 secured bond. So good, good stuff. But we don't see a lot of this. I mean, I mean, we don't catch a lot of it, I guess. You know, I'm sure people are doing this, but uh, this one was notable because it was here and uh, the guy was actually caught. So that's good. Before people got sick. That's that's good news. That's good news. So, uh, yeah. And if you if you type into uh, if you type into uh, the the Google, if you type in uh, suspect arrested for tampering with food, you actually find a fair number of hits. So oh, well, good. I, I guess I'm glad that we don't see. Uh, a lot of illnesses uh, associated with uh, in, in like uh, actual can uh, in, in t- intentional contamination. Intent intentional is a word I've just made up. Intentional. Um, I think that's uh, that's all I had. What anything else you wanted to touch on before we left? I just the hot dogger four, and we did that. <laughs> we got hot dogger four. Is we got it? Go go get the go get the four. Don't get the three. The three's <laughs> no, it's not nearly as good. It's not nearly as good. I think the threes for maybe a, a jet ski, <laughs> your hot dogger, your hot, yeah, your, I mean, you, you get a, a warm meal, but it's also very wet. Uh, so I don't know. I'm looking, I'm Googling the hot dogger three, uh, hot dogger three. It's, there's just a, you know, it looks like there, uh, it may be just a, a, a previous version of the snowmobile or hot dogger. What are the reviews like on this? Oh, <laughs> Don't plan on returning it if you want to. Uh, this is the <laughs> snowmobile hot hot dogger food warmer stainless exhaust cooker. Uh, just one, just the one review that I can see here. It came on time, however, and not fit the exhaust of a razor that we were going to use, and it's near impossible to open up without cutting your fingers up and probably dropping your food everywhere. I imagine it would be even harder when it was hot. I found a plug-in crockpot cooler that's a much bigger heats up much easier and is cleaner to use and holds much more food i contacted the seller to return it of course they said no problem because it'll cost me 12 dollars to ship it back no thanks i'll give it away to someone else instead oh <laughs> so i guess it's, yeah someone uh, someone got it but it might hopefully doesn't shred your fingers that's maybe that's why they call it the hot dogger is that it creates hot dog type uh slices out of your hands uh from your feet from your fingers um all right well i think that's a show don indeed uh, so I will see you next week. Uh, we will, we will do this all again in person on, uh, the 21st of June. Again, um, if you're looking to meet up with us, we will be doing something that evening at a location and time to be determined, but follow us and check us out on Twitter at, uh, bug counter or at Benjamin Chapman for more information. Uh, come hang out with us and, uh, and it'll be fun. So, yeah. And we hope, uh, we hope that we're going to be able to record, uh, that live episode and post it. Um, but you know, don't get your hopes up. We are at the mercy of the good folks at MSU and their technical ability. So, um, uh, you're getting a, you're getting a, a show today, uh, that we recorded today that will come out, um, you know, uh, faster than, than usual. So, you know, we'll, we'll still try to keep with our regular, uh, average rate, uh, but, but, and hopefully we'll have a, a show, uh, from Michigan, but in case we don't, you've got this one. So there you go. Exactly. And, um, yeah, we look forward to, to seeing folks. And uh, all right, Don, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye bye. Bye bye.
right. <sighs> nice. Sorry, I, I like ranted a lot. I, I drank a bunch of espresso this morning. I slept like I, this is going to turn into like a John Roderick uh, <laughs> Merlin man sleeping. Uh-huh. I have not been sleeping at all. Oh, like no, just to, like the last two nights. I don't know why. We had a thunderstorm come through, so you, I went. I went to bed at like eleven o'clock, and I watched. We watched some news, and and then I usually like just fall asleep, and then Danny fell asleep, and then three or four times as I was like got to the point where I fell asleep, I was woken up by lightning and or thunder, and it was yeah, it was terrible. Um, so then I, I woke up this morning, uh, I, like I'd set my alarm for six cause I was going to work on stuff and I didn't. And yeah. Anyway, who knows? So anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wired on like four hours worth of sleep cause it was like two 30 before I actually got to sleep. Oh yeah. It's, it's, that's tough when you have nights like that. Fortunately I did sleep uh, pretty well last night, but I only had one cup of coffee. So I think on average, you know, the average coffee and the average sleep between the two of us probably it turned out. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> it's all good, about the good. averages. Right, right. We've got a mean, the mean right sleep. Exactly. Um, cool. Okay. So this one's yours. Yep. Are you, are you good? Like you, we did this early cause you, are you flying somewhere today or are you not? Uh, I'm driving to driving, Pennsylvania okay. to teach a better process school. But so are you, do you like, would it be helpful? Cause I could, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow morning, but I could maybe edit this while I'm traveling tomorrow. Oh no, I, I'll, I'll have, I'll have, I'll have hotel time tonight okay. and tomorrow night. Um, so and, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay, cool. Um, and then I'll see you next week. And I do have a hotel, so everything is good. That's good. Um, and uh, so should we uh, should we look at like the week of the twenty fifth? Yes. To schedule another one because yes. I think it'd be good. All right. So I would love. Um, okay, so this is what's going on that week. Could probably do something on the twenty seventh. In the morning, like if we did nine till eleven, I could definitely do that. Yep, I've, I've been so that that week is uh, my wedding anniversary and my wife's birthday, and I very often am scheduled out uh, to go do something those that that week. And I've this year I made a uh, a sincere commitment to not do that, so that I can be with her on her birthday and uh, our wedding anniversary. So I am wide open that whole week. I am not oh. traveling. I'm I am free. So uh, the. Um, and I don't have anything going on during the, the day, uh, any, uh, pretty much any day. So, uh, yeah, so, so nine o'clock on the 27th works just fine. That would be awesome. So that's, I'm, I'm supposed to go to Charleston for a talk, but I'm trying to like figure out if I can fly in and fly it on the same day on the 28th. Cause that's your MO. That is my that's MO. That's how you roll or how you fly. <laughs> it is D- Don. I was away for four nights last week and I like seriously almost killed me like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, four nights. And I just, I don't like, I just, I, I am totally good with getting up at 5 a.m. and getting home. Like it makes everybody happier. Me, uh, my kids, Danny's not like stressed out. And it's not like, I mean, our kids are e- like, they're easy to handle. It's just, I think it's a lot to be just man- like only having kids, to, one person to manage everything. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely hard. I remember. Um, and we, well, we just, I mean, it's, we just have two dogs and if, if I'm gone, um, you know, it's extra yeah. work for Kristen and that's just two dogs. You can just throw them in the backyard and you just have to feed them twice a day out of a can. It's not even like they're kids. <laughs> Wait, so should I not be doing that with my kids? <laughs> like, is it three? <laughs> is it, should I be three, feeding them three times a day? I just don't know. I, I, I two you is made fine. it sound like I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> two is fine. Uh, 
Uh, hey, while we're talking, well, uh, this just in, uh, breaking news. Uh, hi, Ben. This is from a, uh, um, uh, journalist uh, yet to be named. Hi, Ben. Pre-cut melons are behind a salmon or behind a salmonella outbreak in several states. At least six to are ill. Um, are you free to weigh in on this before one thirty today? Boom. Yeah. So I sure am. I'll just uh, reference the podcast. Um, okay. So the twenty seventh at nine a.m. That's perfect. Episode one five seven. Um, I have done just on my follow up. I did no follow up to. Uh, try and connect with Kenji, but I, I'm that is still on my Omni focus list. Oh yeah, whatever. I'm I, I it's it's I dropped down to, in the priority for me. Um, but oh, and I just realized too that I did want to talk about um, whether we're washing our bath towels enough, um, which came in oh. response to a tweet from um, Todd, uh, who's a famous uh, <laughs> semi-famous person from the internet, who uh, who who, uh, who who I know from the internet because um, uh, he knows other people that I know from the internet. But anyway, we'll 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 roll that over. Uh, to the next one. Cool. I think, I mean, just as a quick, I think we are probably washing, washing our towels enough. enough? Okay. I think we are. Yeah. Okay. I, as long, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So good. Enjoy your, your drive out to Pennsylvania. I will. I'm going to listen to podcasts. Yay. Uh, there, there were some good ones. I've, I, I listened cause I was traveling all last week. I caught up on all Dubai Friday, all Roderick on the line, and last week's back to work, I'm done. And they recorded another back to work yesterday or something, I think. Yeah, they, I think Merlin's traveling. And so that in the in the after dark, uh, Dubai Friday after dark, uh, they talked about how Merlin was not going to be joining them. So they're going to have a special uh, guest, which I think is going to be uh, Tiffany Arment. So oh, um, oh, wait, sorry, sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, if you're not yeah. in the if you're not, you know, if you haven't given them your effing money, um, you should go give them your effing money uh, so that you can listen to the Dubai Friday after dark. Uh, I'm going to go. Yeah, it's, I have not given them my my effing money, and I'm I'm going to. Well, I, that wasn't directed. That wasn't directed at you. That was directed at other people that might be listening to our after dark, which we don't charge for. No, no, we don't. We don't charge for. It. And but the, I mean, truth be told, we're in a different situation. Like the state of New Jersey and the state of North Carolina already pay us to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I suppose. Like, right? I we suppose. don't. This is a work day, and this is these are work hours. These are work, and I am things. nominally working. Yeah, like this is this is something like I, I do. I mean, I go pay other podcasters and go buy the things that they promote because at least they like they are make that's their job. They're trying to make a living. We're 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 a little bit lucky on that. We are. We, we are. We get we get paid to talk about um, squid sperm and the hot dogger four. <laughs> yeah, right. And neither the hot dogger four nor uh, squid sperm dot com are, are sponsoring um, this show. Neither of them are. It's true. Uh, cool. Um, all right. Well, this is this is awesome. Um, so I will. Yeah. So I will see you. Our plan for next week is um, I don't know exactly when we're going to arrive, but we'll arrive sometime on Wednesday night. Um, and you. So I pro- probably when I was talking to you about like picking you up and all that kind of stuff, I don't know if that's going to work. Oh, it's fine. I'm, so, I got a rental car. It's it's totally. Yeah. I think we already decided that um, I, I you're not going to give me a ride and I'm not going to worry about it. And and it's all it's all going to be good. And we just we can hang out and drink beer with the listeners. So it'll be good. Exactly. 
exactly. Um, and if we really wanted to do something exciting on Wednesday night, which is not going to probably happen, Sloan, the one of the greatest mm-hmm. Canadian rock bands of all time, are playing in Detroit on Wednesday night. We, Danny and I talked about it. We've decided not probably to go because um, we're they're also playing here in North Carolina in September, so we're going to go see them then. Uh, that sounds like a much more manageable proposition. It is. I just like to sque- like squeeze everything I can into all hours of the day. Um, which, uh, gets to be a little taxing and I drop a lot of balls. Uh, <laughs> so, um, cool. All right. Um, I'm going to go make sure my kid has not spent a million dollars on Fortnite. Uh-huh. And, uh, I haven't received any alerts. We set up home share, like, uh, family sharing, maybe it's called for iTunes uh, last week. So they have their, they have their own accounts now, but now every time they want to download a new app, I get a, an alert and I had to approve it instead of them just doing it on my account, which is actually a really nice situation. To yeah. Have. It sounds like they're really making some good progress there. And, uh, yeah, and tell your, tell your slacker son that next time he needs to come be a guest on the show. He, I think he would have loved to, except he's, um, he would have been like, this is his, his interview today. Hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, kids, yeah. kids on podcasts are unpredictable. So they, yes. Yeah, that's what you, you know. That's what they say. Working with like in the business, right? Working with kids and working with animals. Kids and animals. Yep. Kids and animals. Uh, all right. Uh, I will talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. Bye.